0: I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Genesis 32 this morning. Genesis chapter number 32. The Bible teaches us that God created all that is with his spoken word, Genesis chapter 1, and now God upholds all that is with that same word of his power, Hebrews chapter number 1. The Bible tells us that God can do anything, that nothing is impossible with God. We know God as El Shaddai or as God Almighty, so how then could we affirm the truth that God is omnipotent or all-powerful if a man could wrestle with God and prevail over him? If God is omnipotent, if God is all powerful, how is it possible that a man could wrestle with God and prevail over him? In Genesis 32, verse number 24, the Hebrew patriarch Jacob wrestled with God through the night and would not let God go until God blessed him. Look at Genesis 32, verse 26. And he said, Let me go. That is, God is saying, the angel of the Lord here is saying to Jacob, Let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he, the angel of the Lord, God, said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Folks, if God is omnipotent, how did Jacob struggle with God and prevail over God to gain God's blessing as if by force? Could we do the same? Could we wrestle with God and conquer God in a way that rewards us with his blessing? After all, isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all need? We want and we need God's blessing. Blessing. I've titled my message this morning from Genesis 32, How to Gain God's Blessing. Let's pause for prayer, and then we'll look at the the scripture narrative together. God in heaven, thank you for the instruction we've already received this morning in song, for the rich text of the hymns that we sang to one another about you. Lord, it's our desire for you to bless us this morning. And I ask that you would help us understand how that we might lay hold of your blessing as we study Genesis 32 and the life of Jacob. We commit our study to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You'll remember in Genesis 27 that Jacob left his home in Canaan to escape the wrath of his brother Esau and he went to live with his uncle Laban. At the time, Jacob's mother Rebekah told him that he would only need to be gone for a few days. Once Esau's anger cooled, Rebekah would send for Jacob and have him return home. However, 20 years passed and Jacob never heard from his mother and all he could conclude was that Esau... His anger had not yet cooled. Esau was still angry with with Jacob and a threat to him. But nonetheless, in Genesis 31, God told Jacob to leave his uncle Laban and to go to his homeland. Jacob's journey to Canaan would have been a journey of anticipation. At long last, he was finally now going home. But it would also have been a, a journey of trepidation, for he would have to confront his estranged, angry brother Esau. So we pick up in Genesis 32, verse number 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Now, the appearance of angels here sets the tone for the entire passage. Verse number 2. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. I'll title these first two verses, the angelic reception. The angelic reception upon seeing the angels, Jacob recognized the place as God's camp, called the name of the place Mahanaim, which means two camps. You see, Jacob and his entourage were camped there, but also God and his angels were camped there in that place. And so from that place, the two camps, or Mahanaim, Jacob would stage his attempted reconciliation with his his brother Esau. Verse number 3, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them saying speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys flocks, male and female servants and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. I, I believe that Jacob now had a A new sensitivity toward his brother Esau and a new appreciation for what Esau went through so many years earlier when Jacob deceived Esau and stole his birthright from Esau. Since that time, Jacob received a taste of his own medicine at the hand of his uncle Laban as Laban deceived him A number of different times. So Jacob sent messengers on ahead, diplomatic emissaries, if you will, to meet and to greet Esau, his brother. For Jacob wanted Esau to know of his coming while he was yet a far ways off. Jacob wanted Esau to know of his intentions. This was intended to to be a, a friendly reunion, not a threatening confrontation. Jacob wanted Esau to know that Jacob was returning a wealthy man and was not returning to seize his father's wealth. However, as innocent and sincere as Jacob's intent was, the messengers returned to Jacob with frightening news. The scouting report was that Esau was actually on his way to find Jacob, accompanied by 400 men. Look at verse number 6. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. I'll title this The Alarming Report. The alarming report, the, the, the report was alarming. For just as Jacob and his sons had chased after Jacob in chapter 31, now Esau and his 400 men were pursuing Jacob in chapter 32, verse 6 here. And, and how do we know that this was an alarming report? Look at Jacob's reaction in verse number 7. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies, And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Now, this isn't divide and conquer for Jacob. This is divide and survive for Jacob in preparing for the worst. He divided his entourage, his company, into two divisions. The word for company is there at the end of verse 7. You see it also in verse number 8. It's the same word for two camps up in verse number 2. So there's two camps Jacob is creating here. If the one group is attacked, the other may escape, verse number 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. I'm divided Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, God, you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. For the first time in all of the Bible record up to this point, Jacob prayed. This is the first record of Jacob praying to God, and his, his prayer is excellent here. While he's alarmed, he's distressed, he's feeling the threat of Esau, his brother. Jacob goes to the Lord in prayer, and he begins by acknowledging God. Jacob acknowledged God, addressing the Lord God as the God of his father Abraham and as the God of his father Isaac. And I believe that Jacob here understood whom he was addressing Like Nehemiah's prayer, Nehemiah 1, verse number 5, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. I think also of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jacob acknowledged God. Secondly, Jacob claimed God's promises. There in verse number 9, Jacob rehearsed what God had promised him. You you who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. You see, we, we don't appeal to God based on our performance, but upon God's promises. And pray the promises of God. Restate the promises of God. You can name them and claim them. Then Jacob admitted his own unworthiness. That's Jacob's spirit in verse number 10. Finally... Uh, And exactly the spirit that is necessary when we approach the Lord. Look at verse number 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Folks, when you go to God in prayer, in your desperate distress, in your crisis, remember who you are. Remember who he is. And rather than demanding something from him, thank him for how he's blessed you and how he's dealt kindly with you in spite of yourself. But then in verse 11, Jacob prayed specifically. Jacob didn't beat around the butch, and he didn't mince words, but he asked God to save him from his brother. And so principially, I, I might just pause for a moment and, and say this. Although this is not the primary point of this Old Testament narrative, I think it's good for us to observe Principially, Jacob's prayer as a model for how we ought to go to God when we are faced with interpersonal conflict or when we're faced with a confrontation. Don't gossip to a friend. Don't complain to your pastor. Go to God. And when you go to God, you will find that your heart softens, your anxiety lessens, And rather than worrying about the matter and rallying support against another, pray, God, please help me to be reconciled with my brother. For this is what you would want, and this is what I need. It's a lesson that I'm continually learning. When there is an alarming report that comes, go to to God in, in these ways. Let's pick up in verse 13. So he, Jacob, lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals. It looks like the whole farm, right, is going to Esau. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these... In front of you, then you shall say, "There are your servants, Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Now this is consistent with Jacob's character as a clever strategy to hedge himself against Esau's anger or his threats. The pending confrontation that Jacob must have with Esau, I call it number three, an appeasing response. An appeasing response and in fearing that one large gift would not appease Esau, Jacob sent wave upon wave upon wave of gifts to Esau, dividing the gifts of, of livestock into separate droves that were tended by the servants who followed the flocks. and. As Esau approached nearer and nearer to Jacob, Esau would have to pass each drove of, of livestock. And I'm sure the servants who tended those livestock now, they're, they're coached on how to diplomatically respond to Esau, just as they were coached initially in verse number 4. And, and after Esau hearing all of the servants cumulatively, the hope was that Esau's wrath would be diverted, would be softened by the time he finally got to Jacob, according there to verse number twenty. And now I must interrupt this story because the conclusion of this account is found in chapter 33. However, there is a a pericope or a passage, a context, verses 22 to 23, that abruptly interrupts the narrative. Our temptation would be to quickly skip to chapter 33 to hear the rest of the story. But while the Bible interrupts this story with, with something other than what we're reading, it's not a random or irrelevant interruption. I'm going to call it the angelic wrestler. And the angelic wrestler and the divine author of the Holy Scripture purpose now for these next 10 verses to interrupt all the progress we've just made of learning of. Of Jacob and and Esau and their pending meeting. And I believe the divine author of scripture purpose for these verses to interrupt the narrative because it speaks to the root problem, the core issue that's at hand, the point of this entire passage. It's not even on our radar right now. And that is Jacob needing and wanting the blessing of God in his life. So folks follow me in this now. Whatever conflict Or confrontation or crisis that you are experiencing right now in your family or on the job or perhaps your health, many times we manipulate circumstances and manufacture circumstances to grease the skids, to smooth the road for success. But in fact, what do we need? We need God's favor. We need God's aid. We need God's blessing. And that's what's about to happen here the solution to all of Jacob's problems. Follow as I read beginning in verse 22. And he arose that night, that's Jacob, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that is when the man, this angel of the Lord saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He, the angel of the Lord, touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, as he, the angel of the Lord, wrestled with Jacob. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob broke camp in the middle of the night, up at verse 22. He had already dispersed the the two different sets of 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 his camp, the two camps. He sent the droves of livestock on ahead, and now it looks like a little bit of a backdoor escape for Jacob and his wives and his uh, immediate family. They cross the river, the Jabbok River. The the Jabbok River flows into the Jordan River much the way that the St. Croix River flows into the Mississippi River. And there Jacob was alone, and he wrestled with a man through the night, verse 24. This whole episode is shrouded in in mystery and intrigue. However, there's a few observations that we can make with certainty. The first is that the man, verse 24, was an angel. We know that. You might jot this in the margin, uh, Hosea 12, verses 3 and 4. Hosea 12, verses 3 and 4, tells us that Jacob struggled with the angel, So this man is is an angelic being, more than just an angel. This man was the angel of the Lord. It was God. And we know that from verse 30, where Jacob says, I have seen God face to face. Also, again, Hosea 12, verses 3 and 4, the passage, says that Jacob struggled with God. And so let me pause here and say this. If Jacob figured that Esau was his barrier of entrance back into into Canaan. And if Jacob figured that Esau was the one standing in the way of God's blessing, Jacob was terribly mistaken. God was the one with whom Jacob would strive and struggle before receiving God's blessing. And and so we come to that that statement, incredulous statement in verse 28. How could the angel of the Lord struggle with Jacob and not prevail over Jacob? How could it be that it was God who did not prevail over Jacob? So we need to be careful in in understanding this. The Bible does not say that God could not overcome Jacob. It says that he did not overcome Jacob. Be careful to know also the Bible doesn't say that God lost the wrestling match or that Jacob was stronger than God. So at first read, we might misinterpret this. The man, the angel of the Lord, God, disabled Jacob's hip in that altercation. Now, think about that. This would have been devastating to a a wrestler in this case, like breaking the arm of a quarterback or breaking the the leg of a running back. Consequently, Jacob, in his wrestling with this angel of the Lord with God, could, could not play offense to conquer the angel of the Lord, but rather, Jacob could only cling defensively in desperation. And as the dawn broke, the angel of the Lord prompted Jacob to let go, and Jacob always the bargainer, clung on, and he asked for blessing. In verse 26 again, he, the angel of the Lord, God says, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Verse 27, you're looking there. The angel asks, what is your name? Did God not know Jacob's name? Of course he did. But once before Jacob was asked his name, remember Father Isaac said, What is your name? And Jacob lied and said, well, I'm Esau. Here, Jacob answers, my name is Jacob. And folks, what is happening here is Jacob is broken. He's saying, Lord, you know me. You know who I am. I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. And folks, that's what God wanted of Jacob. God wanted Jacob to be broken in his presence He wanted Jacob to see himself for who he really was. He wanted Jacob to confess all that he was by natural birth. I'm Jacob. I propose to you that Jacob was broken by God. So let's be careful in our reading of this text to discern who is in control of the situation. A casual or or a careless reading of this wrestling match gives us the idea that Jacob conquered God in a physical sense by means of some great human strength. But what was taking place here was much more than a wrestling match. It was a struggle of man's stubborn will to surrender to Almighty God. And once Jacob was broken or surrendered and humbled, it's then that Jacob could be blessed by God. Secondly, Jacob was blessed by God and God changed Jacob's name to to Israel, meaning prince with God and blessed him. And I believe it's here at this point that Jacob realized that Esau could neither provide nor prevent the blessing of God. Jacob realized that that Jacob could neither provide or prevent the blessing of God. God was the source of blessing in the land of Canaan. It was God who would provide or prevent the blessing. And there God blessed Jacob. And in turn, Jacob asked the angel for his name. And of all the many, many names of God that are recorded for us in the scripture, there's one here that is not revealed. Whatever revelation of himself that God gave to Jacob, it, it was enough for Jacob to be convinced that the man or the angel was in fact God. Look at verse 30 again. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Peniel means face of God. You see, It wasn't Jacob who prevailed over God in the end as much as it was God who preserved Jacob. You see it there at the end of verse number 30. So what do we do? What does it mean in verse 28 when it says that Jacob prevailed in his struggle against God? Is is it saying that Jacob was stronger than God? No. In no way, shape, or form as a father who might tumble and wrestle with his, his child on the living room floor. And there may be a perception in the mind of the child that the child can pin their father to the floor. In no way can that ever happen. And so as the father tumbles and wrestles with the child and, and maybe um, demands his surrender, maybe twisting an arm or a leg... Okay, okay, enough, enough. I give up. I surrender. That's what's happening here. And all he could do, in the words of Hosea, again Hosea twelve verse four, was to weep and to seek God's favor. Folks, understand the macro story here. For all of Jacob's life up until Genesis twenty, uh, Genesis thirty-two, Jacob's life had been characterized by carnal striving to secure. God's blessing. Jacob cheated his brother Esau. Then he deceived his father Isaac. And then he worked so hard for his uncle Laban. And Jacob had learned the futility and the folly of that self-effort. He learned that a life of blessing can only be achieved when we are first broken by God and surrendered to God and humbled before God and then cling to the person and the promises of God and depend upon him to provide and protect. In that way, we prevail upon God. Verse 31 and 32, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Why did he limp on his hip? Well, because up in verse 25, God injured that hip and disabled Jacob's self-sufficiency. Verse 32, therefore to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle of that shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. I would offer you a letter C. Jacob was branded by God. The chapter ends with Jacob bearing in his body the consequences of wrestling with God that night. And I'm sure as he crossed that river and limped into the camp with his wives and his children, they would have asked him what happened. And he would have had to say this. He would have had to say, I I met with God last night, and I'll never be the same. Your notes are complete, but I'd ask for you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 as we conclude. In Hebrews chapter 11, for the rest of the story, of course, next week we'll return to Genesis 33 for the encounter between Jacob and Esau, but in Hebrews chapter 11, what I believe is the rest of the story Hebrews 11, verse 21, by faith, Jacob, Hebrews 11, verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, you see there at the end of verse 21, leaning on the top of his staff. Why was Jacob leaning on the top of his staff? May I submit to you that Jacob was leaning on the top of his staff because of his hip injury, his branding, because of the reminder that God had given Jacob of Jacob's submission and surrender and humility to God back in Genesis 32. Many years later, Jacob blessed his son's leaning on his staff, a reminder of what took place in Genesis 32. Folks, how do we gain God's blessing? Do we fight with God? Do we wrestle with God? Do we argue with God and and lay out our case for why we are deserving of his blessing? I would submit to you that no, blessing comes from brokenness. I think that's the simple truth and teaching of Genesis 32. Blessing comes from brokenness, and the only way that we prevail upon God is wrestling with God in prayer until he breaks us, until he handicaps us from our own self-sufficiency and our own strength, at which point we can do nothing other than to cling to him and claim his promises and plead our dependence upon him. He may choose to give us a limp for the rest of our lives. He may choose to give us some trial or trouble or circumstance that will be a lifelong reminder of our submission and surrender and dependency and brokenness upon him. And how do I know this? Because of some obscure story in Genesis 32? Well, remember the Apostle Paul, lest he should be exalted above measure, boasting in the revelation that the Apostle Paul received. God gave him a thorn in the flesh as a reminder. And then God gave him the grace to endure that trial. May we all live our lives leaning on the top of our staff. Does it mean that we get what we want? It means that we learn to depend upon Him and desire what He wants with our lives. And in brokenness, He can then bless us. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven above, forgive us for our arrogance like Jacob, for our independence like Jacob. Lord, forgive us for how we manipulate and manufacture circumstances for our benefits. When, Lord, you purpose to humble us, to break us. May we be men and women who wrestle with you and cling to you in dependence and then be grateful for your blessing. Lord, if you choose, give us a staff to lean on so that we might never err as Jacob did. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.